Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest today is Jason Michelli. He's a United Methodist pastor. He's the host of the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast and the author most recently of Cancer is Funny. He's also a good friend. It was great to reflect on these texts with him. I give you Jason Michelli. Jason, welcome back to the Synaxis podcast. I'm happy to replace whoever backed out on you in the last minute. No one backed out. No I one backed out. I, I believe it. Believe it. Believe it, my friend. All right. I, well, I'm just disappointed to not be the Easter guest, but all right. You Second could Sunday be. Lent, you, we can do that. Do you want to be the Easter guest? You can be. I I mean, we'll, we'll see. You know, Babe Ruth, you're calling your shot. <laughs> you could be. I'd love to have you be the Easter guest. <laughs> Would you dress as the Easter bunny and we could stream it? I, I could do that. I could do that. Bill and I's 200, 200th new persuasive word episode is coming up. So we're thinking what to do. I think we're going to record it Wednesday, but he texted me this weekend and said, do you have access to mummer's costumes? I was like, no, unfortunately, no, but why? I was thinking for our 200th episode, so the mummer struck. <laughs> you know, what you should do is, is interview Taylor Mertens because he does a spot on impression of you. Not many do. Many do. He he does. He but does. there are many me's though. There are many me's. <laughs> you know, there are many, many me's. Okay, there are many me's. Speaking probably. of many things. Exactly. Many nations. Many, many, nations. nations. many, many. many Gen- blessings. Genesis seventeen, uh one through seven and five through sixteen is our first lection, as they say. And we got Abraham at ninety nine years old, and the Lord appears to him and he's gonna make a you know, he says that, you know, I'll make my covenant between me and you, and you're going to be exceedingly numerous. And, uh, you know, he repeats sort of the the blessings about na- nation, land, you know, see that you're going to be, you're going to be great, you know, that you'll be the father of many nations. And then it jumps to Sarai, which is really interesting, because like the lectionary cuts out a lot of things often, which... Mm-hmm. They cut out the whole circumcision thing. And also they cut out, like, it seems like Abraham, like the first time Abraham speaks in the Genesis cycle to God, it's words of doubt. Yep. So like he's, God has like done a lot of interesting things and just delivered a bunch of sort of little, it's so funny when we read these stories, I feel like we will read them like flannel graphs or something. We should read them. Like what I liked about the Noah movie, it was like Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. (laughs) And so like, so he beats up these like, Mad Max warlords and everything. And there's this great military victory. And Melchizedek comes out and the bread and the wine, which the NIV study Bible says, by the way, this spreading out of Abraham with Melchizedek of bread and wine has nothing to do with the New Testament ordinance of communion. <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh, could, that this person who wrote this is, has a theological disorder. <laughs> like they can't make associations like, oh, no, it's like, it's like Zoolander. I can't turn left. I can't turn. I can't go to the New Testament. I can't do it. But then, you know, but then he Abraham's like, well, I don't know how. What can't we have Eleazar's in my ear? And then he here where he says, Sarah, you know, your your first love here, she's going to give you the air. No, couldn't. Can't we just? Hey, God, I don't want to drive too hard of a bargain. 
<laughs> you know, like it's like uh, uh was it uh uh Gilbert Godfrey and Beverly Hills Cop too, where they were in the parking they get with the parking ticket. I'm robbing you. I'm robbing you. <laughs> Just let Ishmael be my ass. I'm robbing you, Lord. You know, they, I will. I Ro- Gilbert Godfrey for, for, for will forever be known to me as as. Have you seen that bit where he reads Fifty Shades of Grey? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's funny. Stern was interviewing him about like. Uh, like why he didn't do better on Saturday Night Live. Why didn't you just do your rabbi and your Dracula? Like impressions. Well, Howard, I mean, I've never been one that's not known for self-sabotage and destruction. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so it's interesting here because you have, I think, this sort of interesting thing. If I was preaching this, I'd want to sort of like fill in some context. Where I feel like you get uh, VCL uh, Abraham or at least Vic- victorious Christian life, or at least receiving the victorious Christian life without getting the underside of Abraham's kind of, Abraham is not the, the, the most responsive. No. And I think that underscores, I mean, the, the later text, um, where Abraham shows us God's ability to call into existence that which does not exist. Um, that Abraham is not a heroic or remarkable character. Um, yeah, and and I, I like the the Jewish tradition that you know Abraham's father was an idol maker. Um, that, that just adds another texture to that. Um, especially like when you think about idols being tied to specific locations, and then the true God encounters him and tells him to uproot himself from the specific location where he was residing. Um, so yeah, so I, I think Scripture says a lot just with the people with which it says it. Yeah, that's interesting. I was asked to speak at the senior center years ago, and it was like it was this like club med for seniors in like North Central Jersey, and they they wanted to talk about Abraham as a, as the you know sort of father of three traditions. They had this like Islamic guy who was not an imam, imam but he was like a very learned kind of mm-hmm. scholar and businessman, and then who does these kind of talks. And they had a reform rabbi and me, and and you know like the. In the Islamic tradition, you know, Abraham's just like super virtuous. <laughs> and, you know, he and Ishmael are smashing the idols and get run out of town. And the reformed rabbi, who he, he had this great time kind of yucking up at lunch, but it was like, God looked around and needed a mensch. And Abraham was a mensch. It was, it was sort of like, wasn't quite the idol smasher, but he was, a, you know, like a mensch. And I said, you know, like when I look at just faith, prima facie, at least in the Hebrew Bible, you know, he's childless. So that's a sign that you're not favored. And he's in the town of center of lunar worship. And Joshua says, you know, gives a speech to the Israelites, like, remember your ancestors. He's not about Abraham. They were, they lived beyond the Euphrates and worshiped mm-hmm. other gods. I mean, so, mm-hmm. so these, so the, the kind of, the, the text doesn't sugarcoat the fact that, it, the call of God, you know, qualifies the call. God doesn't call the qualified. You know, it's it's the call of God that qualifies somebody. And the the scandal of particularity involves particular vices and sins and backstory. Um, that that all of that becomes part of the story. Yeah, and and geography. I mean, like, wh- why would you start? You know, why wouldn't you call somebody like Pharaoh or somebody that has? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's no social media, but at least you can kind of get the word out quickly. With imp- <laughs> yeah, that's you know, that's the interesting. I mean, yeah, the scandal of particularity, and if you don't see it and start there, mm-hmm. you'll you'll never get the whole story. You'll never get the cosmic story, right? Yeah. Unless you zoom in on the particular. Mm-hmm. Oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. 
God said no, Abe said what? God said you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. Well, let's go on to Abraham part due. Two, duh. two, duh. Because it's really a double Abraham text. We have Genesis 17 and then also Romans 14, 13 through 25. Nothing's omitted in the middle. Uh, That's a great <laughs> path. And, and I like the point that you often make in your, your lectionary podcast, uh, you know, Tim Keller's advice about, you know, you, you have to make your way through these texts and end up with Christ so that he's the interpretive key. Um, and, and I think Paul's a very good example of, of why the Abraham story by itself is kind of insufficient for Christian preaching, apart from how Paul uses him. Yeah, because Abraham's not necessarily great as a moral exemplar. Uh, no. <laughs> any more than anybody else is on their, you know, with their, on some of our good days, we're, we're, we're exemplars, right? But but then even if you... And, and the particular, I mean, like the promise and, and the blessing, like it has to have, I mean, to get back to particularity, like, you know, it's it's how Paul uses him and connects him to the new covenant in Christ that it gives it particular content. By the way, I heard a rumor that in a recent sermon, you made somebody fail their security screening clearance <laughs> because they asked, are you a good person? And after hearing your sermon, they had to say no. <laughs> I, I did. Is that yeah. one of those people, the hundred people that are working without the security clearance? Oh my, no, she, uh, yeah. I mean, this person, uh, I mean, it's it's like a Matt Damon Goodwill Hunting kind of like NSA thing, and yeah, uh, it's completely messed her up. She's going to Christianize the whole NSA. Stop the dr- <laughs> the the drone program was stopped by one crazy Christian. Wait, I mean, I, I I mean, she mentioned just how it made her aware of how Manichaean the entire intelligence community is. You probably and by Manichaean, of course, you I mean this ancient heresy that everything is sort of dark <laughs> and light, good and evil. That there's not. I'm assuming to a level sever. of intelligence. Well, or, well, you know, intelligence. It's not about intelligence. Tom Gillespie, former president of Princeton Seminary, said that, worst comb over of all time. Yes, worse than Donald Trump's. But He's, great guy. Great guy. He said, you know, an ignoramus is someone that doesn't know something you just read. <laughs> Which is true. I, anybody that goes to graduate school should remember that. But yeah, so so the, you know that this is kind of good versus evil, and there's no sort of greater good force that's sovereign over it all. But it's sort of all up for grabs. And that but, connects here because Paul is very intentional about um, not calling any attention to Abraham, but calling attention to how God uses Abraham, uh, and then just reckons his faith as righteousness. That there's nothing Abraham brings to the table um, in how Paul reads this story. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because Paul, uh, it's almost like glosses, no, <laughs> I like what Paul says. He said, it's great too, because for the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, uh, which is interesting because this is one of these, you know, perennial contemporary debates today about like, is Luther still relevant in that tradition of law gospel stuff? Mm-hmm. And, and it seems that. New Testament scholars seem to sometimes transact in the business of telling you something that the text doesn't mean what it obviously seems like it says. That's a <laughs> cottage industry. Yeah, it doesn't mean that. Um, but yeah, so and and it's interesting that Paul seems to say that Abraham didn't weaken his in his conviction. Although, I mean, that's sort of, sort of a gloss, I guess, because he did weaken a little bit. But it, it's interesting that the whole book of Romans, right, is about the fact that, you know, the gospel is for everybody, right? It also tells something about everybody. Mm-hmm. 
that everybody's unworthy. And then when you get to chapter three, it's like God's answer to the unfaithfulness of all mm-hmm. is the fidelity and faithfulness of one. Mm-hmm. And and so it, 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 even in, in Abraham, like it, it's this sort of, there's even imputation, you know, a covering over sort of like, you know, it's like a Jean Valjean, you know, moment in Les Miserables with the priest. It's like even Paul here, it's like, all right, Abraham faltered a little bit, <laughs> but that's but that's where the faithfulness of Christ is stepping in for and with. Him. That's like everybody leaves that out of them, like it gets left out of the musical. But like Jean Valjean, it, like it was no better than Abraham after you know the bishop vouches for him. So it's he steals some character's money. I remember in the next very next scene. Yeah, it's it's a it's a process. It's a journey. But I think uh, it's like Beverly Gaventa uh, has a great little book on Romans. Um, called Win in Romans. And so she does a good job of pointing out how uh, to, to like a Jewish audience, uh, they would have been attuned to what Paul does not say about Abraham. You know, that Paul never refers to him as like Father Abraham, doesn't refer to the covenant. Like it's a very intentional, like auditory demotion of Abraham's contribution to the story um, in order to make God the active agent. Absolutely. By the way, do, have you seen the movie Bruno? Uh, no. They can't, well, in the HBO special, it's the Sasha Baron Cohen. He plays this German sort of gay fashion kind of guy. And he's with this guy in Alabama who has primarily a ministry of reparation kind of therapy. And he says, so tell me about the wonderful things we're doing converting gay people. Says, well, <laughs> we just had a Bible study recently on the book of Romans. And says here in Romans 1, and, and Sasha Baron Cohen goes, oh, I love Romans. <laughs> <laughs> I love Romans. <laughs> yeah also you know it's funny because i i was looking at something in frank lake's clinical theology and i've never heard you quote that book before never i i never i never do never never um never have i ever we should do that online sometime like like as a podcast exactly he says when a christian minister becomes primarily a moralist he is creating insuperable difficulties in the way of pastoral dialogue he remains a religious man but he has ceased to be a christian in the, bib- in the biblical view, righteousness does not consist in the possession of a credible ethical record, but is precisely right relatedness to God and the behavior that results from that relationship. Since God is holy, of course, all unholiness separates from him into unrighteousness. And then he goes on to talk about um, Abraham. He says, um, no mortal man can win by self-effort what, is the nature, what in the nature of things must always be a gift. Abraham, the first righteous man, seems to be characterized, as David was, by just those moral blots which the moralist parson would have used to condemn him. If his greatest act of obedience had been required of Abraham, he, as Kierkegaard points out, would have needed to return to his wife to explain that he had murdered their son. Obedience to God, the outworking of his right relatedness to him, may mean a dread vocation, which so severs a man from those to whom he is naturally related as to be taken, says our Lord, for hate." I think that, and it is, Abraham is taken, I mean, not just the, not just the dread command, Genesis 22, sacrifice, but even in the, in the beginning of the story, mm-hmm. he's uprooted. Yeah. And, and part of like the uprootedness, right, is the sort of, I guess, like the kind of way we relate ourselves, which is sort of, you know, little El Lachan and stuff horizontally to people and in certain social groups and hierarchies. And uh, Am I a good parent or am I a good child or am I a good rebellious parent <laughs> or a good shitty parent or am I good this or... I mean, climate, all those things, you, you die to those mm-hmm. w- with a receptive identity. And I, and I think that resonates a, a bit with how Paul speaks of uh, what God does in baptism later in Romans, that we are, you know, 
there's a disjunction that God makes happen and uh, an insertion into a new a new eon. Yeah, I love the word eon. eon. In the Greek, that's I for alpha something, <laughs> eta, omicron, new. Look at me. Uh, there we go. I remember that. I can still spell in Greek. I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know if you know what I mean. Philosophy is a talk on a cereal box religion. But, so what would you do with so like both gen like so Romans what's key here I think is is the word reckoning um, that his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness and in Genesis 17 you see God um, creating with speech um, you know wording Abraham into action and so how do you then transition to Mark 8 where Jesus is talking not about something being reckoned to us but taking up our cross uh, and so there's a you know, more of an active sense of agency on our part. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think that at first, you know, Capon's fantastic book on the parables. Where he he talks about how it, there's a shift in mm-hmm. in the synoptics after like the feeding of the five thousand ish, depending on where it falls in the synoptics. But where Jesus, like before that, he thinks looks like the kind of Messiah that mm-hmm. people want. You know, we're making Israel great again. <laughs> Things are <laughs> happening. And he's, you know, Jesus makes a change. And he, he talks about the stories Jesus tells, the parables. They talk about the kingdom, and it's mysterious, it's present, and it's Catholic. It's kind of universal. And he thinks that there's a transition, roughly, after this period to the parables of grace, which are all about death and resurrection. And then he thinks when you get close to Jerusalem, they become the parables of judgment. Mm-hmm. And so, and the judgment ultimately fall on Christ, the judge, judge in our place. So I think that on one level, right, that, that here, this, it, it's interesting because the teaching, what's the teaching of Jesus, right? Like that people have, the, well, I mean, the ethical teachings of Jesus, you could say that they are more pro-poor than most ethical teachings, maybe universally. I mean, you have to think about that comparatively, but, but the, the real thing is, is reckoning yourself dead mm-hmm. right so taking up your cross okay there you go there I mean, you go right i mean we could say like this is okay take up your cross like do more push-ups or study harder for your GREs, or you know but but this is you know if nt right is correct and, and jesus is the autio basilio <laughs> the, 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 he, the kingdom is the king right like the the two mm-hmm. aren't separate like that's mm-hmm. oftentimes like in our preaching we separate the kingdom from the king as if the yep. kingdom is a social program. The king kind of drew up some plans and gave us the plans and we established the kingdom. The kingdom is the king. Yeah, I think that's uh, not not as much in Capon, but like I think that's Bart's great wisdom about the parables, that they're always, first of all, about Christ. Yeah, they're all Christological in some sense. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And so I think that that, and so part of it is, is you know, like this sense of which we, you know, Bonhoeffer talks about, I die daily, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. what we call the Christ. And I think, like, there's two kinds of mortification in the flesh. Like, ones where they're, that are attempted to be achieved and ones that are, like, passively received. And all real mortification, I think, all, like, sort of when we're dying daily. Okay, is, so, all right. Oh, this is good. This is good. So, like, like what you're pointing out is, so, like, the temptation in almost all mainline preaching would be to take Mark 8. Um, and not and, just mainline, fundy preaching, too, of a different yeah, sort. True. And exhort people to be little Jesuses. Yeah. 
um, to like go find their passion story. <laughs> and <they're going> <laughs> yeah. Dude, we could come up with a million dollar market. <laughs> go find your passion. Who are and the that, Satans that need to get behind you? Exactly. Um, and, you know, but like what you're we need to have is, a religious conversion right now and market this because this would be big. <laughs> this would be big. But, Yes, but but like we were your, out, that is so marketing genius. We need to copyright that <laughs> just so Joel Olstein doesn't take it. He probably already has. Um, so so like in the same way that Genesis needs to be read through Romans, the Mark eight needs to be read through Romans too. And so what you like what you're saying to like draw it out? Or I would just say read obvious. it through read it through Jesus. I mean, like like there's the but, sense in with but to read it christologically in the way that Paul forces you to do. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because Paul's also sort of like to take up your cross. Is to is to is to daily revisit and examine the fact that you are someone who needed to be reckoned as righteous. Yes, absolutely, and and written but to that's the mortification. Yeah, of, and, your, of your hubris and, and written to persecuted Christians. It's it's take up your cross, meaning identify with the risen one mm-hmm. through whom you've been reckoned righteous and reconciled. When the temptation is to sort of go along to get along, go back to the Roman form of righteousness, it's it's no, don't go to the righteousness of King Caesar, but to the one of the crucified king, who's, mm-hmm. who's a friend to sinners. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think that that, that, that is the heart of the message, right? I mean, it, it's, it's funny because Paul's all in grace and practice says that I think this is so right. Like, cause his, his book, the first Christian is fantastic. And it's reconciliation between Sitting on my desk. Good book. A- and he says, you know, this, his mentor case like was working on the Paul versus Jesus kind of thing. And, and Zal says that Paul taught what Jesus lived. Mm-hmm. So you can look at like the, the, the epistles lo- largely as sort of, prose reflection on the story of Jesus and translate. And he thinks Paul's doctrine of grace is fleshing out in letters, the story of Jesus mm-hmm. versus this, I, I, I've this. never gotten the whole Jesus versus Paul thing. Like I, I, I think you just, you, you obviously need to have been indoctrinated into that and bring it to the text. Especially if you have any sort of supernatural belief at all, that the text is one thing like that, that like then if it's at all inspired, right? Like mm-hmm. then you'd assume that the divine inspiration somehow accommodated that there would be a couple <laughs> well, even if they're things. like even if it's not divinely inspired like there's like so like it was still put together in canon form with the assumption that these texts interpret one another you're saying if it was just a, a, a con job editorial thing <laughs> like, it was just if, a book like, it probably yeah. makes sense it's a bestseller it's the best-selling book number two of course the art of the deal <laughs> but number one is the bible <laughs> yeah no so i think that that i mean i think that that yeah, I mean the the call to take up the cross, you know, it it is sort of almost like to, it, with I love that him lift up the cross, you know, it's to it's to lift up the cross and then be in its shadow. That's and that's a good way to preach this is that um, you know for Peter, Peter is reluctant to have a crucified Messiah, and we are eager to get ourselves crucified next to the messiah right right it's supposed to be in the shadow <laughs> so, of the cross you know so that we, we there's a different temptation for us and to, to use paul to name that i think would be a helpful word jason look it's as almost as if that that was the purpose of the podcast this is a cool we preach it we found them. <laughs> thanks for doing this with me my good friend and you're going to be the easter guest oh thank you we called it right here thank you my friend it, my friend Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or 
pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to my guest, Jason Michelle. You can follow Jason's exploits at tamecynic.org and check out his podcast, Crackers and Grape Juice. Thank you again for listening and we will catch you next week. Until then, fare thee well.